song, isn't it? Keep on the firing line. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. We're dealing with uh, the Jews. We've been dealing with that for a few weeks, and uh, we had a a kind of a minor interruption, a welcomed interruption, and we're kind of back on that on Wednesday nights. And so we're going to be dealing with the Jews tonight, but we're going to look at their past. We're going to look at their past. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. We're going to look just to kind of kick things off kind of remind us of where we're at, and then we'll go from there. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now again, we uh, recognize again that uh, uh, that Moses, the patriarch, he's going to go into Egypt and deliver them. And I think it's interesting to note that he says, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so we know that God has a people, and that people is Israel. And someone would say, well, we also have the church. Those are his people. Yeah, but they're not the same people. Israel's Israel, and the church is the church, and the Bible makes that distinction and that separation. And that's okay. If that's how God wants it, that's how it needs to be, and that's exactly how it is according to the Word of God. Now, as we look at the Jew... Uh, they have long since paid for their cold and callous cry of crucifying. No doubt about that. As well as their hasty and irresponsible statement, His blood be upon us and our children. Man, the Jewish people have been paying century after century for those statements and for those words. And boy, I mean, the plight of the Jew is well documented throughout the centuries. And there is no way that we can possibly account for the amazing preservation of Jewish race except to say that, well, God has brought it about. He's the one that's brought it to pass. The fact that there's still a Jewish people here on the earth in which we live is truly a miracle, and God had to be in it. Not only that, but I believe God has something for them now, and he has something in the future for the people of Israel or for the Jew also. So we see that God is dealing with them. We said, okay, so what's, uh, despite their rebellion, despite their disobedience, Uh, God still used them. How did he use them? Well, he used them to be a blessing to the entire human race by providing three things to the world. We said, one, monotheism. They provided monotheism. 
For 2,000 years, from about 1921 B.C. to A.D. 30, no other people but the Jews believed the unity of God or even taught it. The cultures around them served other gods. We talked about the pantheism and all of the different types of uh, the, the many gods that were served, the idolatry and all of those things. We addressed that. But the Jews have been the teachers of monotheism to all nations. And if indeed there is a Gentile nation that <clears throat> taught monotheism, it was a direct result of the influence of the Jew. Because otherwise, it had never been monotheistic because they were just simply pagan. And so it's an amazing thing as we look at the Jew and we recognize they brought monotheism. Not only that, but they provided the oracles of God. We're talking about the word of God. That's what the Jew did. The Jewish race was raised up to be the writers, the preservers, the transmitters of the Holy Scriptures. And they did that. They did exactly that. It says, to them were committed the, unto them were committed the oracles of God, the word of God. And so we have, from the Jewish people, we are blessed today. With, we have monotheism. We are taught about God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. And we're grateful for that. We also recognize the oracles of God. We have the word of God that we now hold in our hand, even to this day, that, that reveals to us the God that we serve identifies who he is and reveals to us exactly what his demands are and his expectations are for each and every one of us. Not only that, but the Jewish people, or the Jew, is also attributed with the fact of bringing the Savior to the world. We know that God uh, brought Christ into the world. We understand that, but he used the Jewish race to do so. And we know that he would come through the tribe of Judah, that he would ultimately be the rightful heir to the Davidic throne. And so we see that Jesus Christ himself is a direct result or of the lineage of David or a Jew. And so when we look at the Jewish, uh, the Jews, we have to say to ourselves, okay, you know, what role do they play in our lives? Well, they play a major role in all of our lives in that they provided us with monotheism. They provided us the oracles of God and even that the Savior came through them. So nonetheless, man, I tell you what, we can go ahead and, you know, you hear about this anti-Semitic attitudes in the world or things like that, but I'm telling you, everybody in the world ought to be grateful to the Jewish people at least, because through them came these aspects and these things, and they really are a blessing. The Bible said, you know, who, you know, blesses you, I'll bless, and who curses you, I'll curse, and all that, and well, I'll tell you what, we need to stay on the good side of the Jewish people as much as possible. Now, I mean, honestly, let's be honest. If a Jewish person comes down the street and decides to steal from my house, then they're going to get the same thing that anybody else would get. Okay? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about how we treat them as a people, how we treat them as a nation. I mean, uh, <clears throat> you hire a, a Jewish person to work at your store and they don't do a good job, you fire them just like you would anybody else. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about as a nation. It's talking about as a people. And so we, uh, we need to understand that. It's, uh, we can take this thing a little too far also. But the fact is, is that we are to be grateful for and thankful for the Jewish race and the people. And we are today, especially as believers, because we understand that without them, we, well, at least through them came our Savior. And as a result, we have a Bible. And we know who God is today. And we thank the Jew for their... Uh, burning or blazing the path for us. We're grateful for that. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the past now, their past, the Jews' past. The, uh, even, we'll talk even about Israel a little bit along the way. But I think it's important because the Bible in the Old Testament spends a lot of time dealing with this. You don't read the Bible without talking about the Jewish people, talking about Israel. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll go ahead and look at their past, Okay and consider their past. Father, we come to you. <clears throat> we thank you for just this time that we have together tonight. I pray, Father, that you would fill me with your spirit and enable me, Lord, just to convey these truths, Father, in a way that will be understandable. May we make application as necessary and needful. Be glorified in what's said and done. Lord, may we leave here learning something, knowing something more than we did before we came. Lord, help us. 
Father, we live in a world that is truly becoming more anti-Christ all the time. May we as a church recognize the need to gather like we are tonight as a group, as a family, Father, for the support we need to face a world that is losing perspective so quickly. Thank you for the precious word of God. Thank you, Father, for all you do for us. Now, Lord, help us tonight. Speak to our hearts and work in our lives. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, to go ahead and turn over, if you would, to Genesis. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 to begin with. Let's just turn over there and we'll get this kicked off. When we start talking about the Jewish people, we have to, be, we have to begin with a man by the name of Abraham or Abram. Why would we do that? Because he's the first Hebrew. He's the first Hebrew. And uh, that is indeed who the Jews are. They're Hebrews. And so we're going to see here, we're going to see Abraham, the beginning of the Hebrew race. Now I want to begin in chapter 11, verse 31. The Bible says, And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and to a land that I will shew thee. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We just talked about how all the families of the earth are blessed. Hold on. I want you to look back now in verses 31 and 32 there of chapter 11. And I want you to note that Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, and so forth and so on, and he ended up going to Haran. Do you see that? So the Bible says in chapter 12, verse 1, now the Lord had said. Had said, past tense. So God had come to Abraham, or Abram, and he had told him, what did he tell him? He says right here in chapter 12 that the Lord said unto thee, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy what? Father's house. That's what he had told Abraham. But we see in chapter 11 that that's not exactly what happened. Because see, what really happened was is that God obviously went to Abram and told him to leave his father's house and instead he followed his father to Haran. Because note again, the Bible says that the Lord had said unto Abraham. He had said, past tense. So Abraham gets the word from God, and instead of leaving and directly leaving, going where God had directed him, it appears that Abraham, or Abram at that point, remained with daddy, and daddy said, it's time to move on. Let's go find this Canaan land. Let's go forward. And they ended up stopping in Haran, and that's where Daddy died. And then Abraham leaves and goes. What we believe is that Abram was probably about 60 years of age when he received the call of chapter 12. Because again, in chapter 12, verse 1, he had said unto Abram, so it was past tense, he now is 60 and receives the call, he hangs out with dad for about 15 years till he dies, and then he goes out and does what God called him to do. That's what it appears like, that's what we seem to th see in the scriptures. <clears throat> so he's called at 60, spends 15 years in Iran, dad dies, and then he starts for the land of promise. I wonder, I'm going to ask you a question. Are we given permission to put God's calling on hold for convenience sake? 
Now, I, I'm not, listen, I'm not picking on Abram. I mean, he's, the, I mean, he's, we all go back to Abram and his faith, right? So I, I'm, I'm not here to tell you that I'm a better man than Abram. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying is it's interesting to note that he had said to Abram and that it wasn't until dad died, even though he's supposed to leave his father's house. Something went awry. Somehow, someway, Abram never left home when he was told he hung around. Why? I don't know if dad appeared to be sick. I don't know if dad was just a little clingy. I don't know if dad had made up his mind that since he's the head of the home, everybody has to do what daddy says. But what I got to tell you is this. Abram should have followed God when God called him. You say, but it all worked out fine. Well, it all worked out except it took the death of daddy and his brother before he ultimately left his home and family. Maybe they would have never had to die. Again, we have to look at it, and I think to myself, we're talking about the past of the Jewish faith or the Hebrew faith. Here it is now, Abram, the first Hebrew. And I get to thinking sometimes, okay, does God give us permission to put his calling on hold for convenience sake? I think that's a real good question. Now, I think we all know the answer, but I'm not sure we all practice the answer. And if the, idea, if the goal is to obey God when he calls, then it's important that we do it whether it's convenient or not then. <clears throat> In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth praises unto him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we have a calling also then. We're too been called to some things. I think of Romans 1, 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. I wonder what that means when you really think about it. Have you ever kind of looked into sainthood? Really what it really means? Not maybe what the uh, Catholic doctrine teaches about it, that someone has to saint you and make you a saint. The truth is that the Bible teaches that everyone who names the name of Christ is a saint. Therefore, we all have a calling to be a saint. What does that mean? We look at the, the qualifications. We kind of consider what the expectations might be. And can I tell you, that's pretty high. 1 Corinthians 1-2, under the church of God, which is at Corinth. So it's not just Rome, but listen to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Wait a second. So you mean it's not just the saints at Rome that are saints. It's also those that are in Corinth that are saints. Yep. And those that are in Akron, Ohio. And you are called. You have a high calling in Christ Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians. My question is, are you fulfilling the calling or, or for convenience sake, have you dismissed it? The call to what? If we'd say, what has God called us to? Christ-likeness, maybe? Holiness? Purity? To the work of God? We've been predestined or predetermined to that work? Or do we say, well, this isn't a convenient time. I'll wait. I wonder what it'll cost you. What it'll cost me if we wait. Turn, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Notice what he says here. For every action, there's an equal and something reaction. I think that's a, one of those laws of thermodynamics or something. Basically, you know what it is? It's a biblical principle. You reap what you... There you go. God makes it so simple, doesn't he? 
You can go to college for four years and learn about all of that, or you could just go to the Bible and realize you reap what you sow. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to college and getting a degree, but you don't have to go there to learn that principle. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 4. He says there in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Right off the bat, he identifies and clarifies that you and I, as believers, are saved, saved, saved. Notice what he says. We're given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. You know what happened to you the day you trusted Christ and received him into your life? You became a partaker of the divine nature. Let me tell you this, and it's very difficult to say because it involves or it includes me too. It's hard to admit that when we fail God, it's not because he failed us. We just simply failed. Well, I'm bent that way. I was made flesh. My flesh rules us. The flesh is what causes me to trip up. Can I tell you you have the divine nature and so do I? And the only time that the flesh trips us up is when we're not walking in the Spirit. The truth is, is that we all fail in this area. There's no doubt about that. But my friend, let's stop blaming the devil. Let's stop blaming the flesh. Let's start blaming who the responsibility falls on. It's us. Theoretically or practically speaking, literally, we do not have to sin. Oh, that's not true. I know better than that. Why did he give us 1 John 1, 9? In case you do. But it's interesting, and we might as well take a minute and look at it. 1 John chapter 3, look there, would you? Verse 9. I just want you to note something that's very important. How God views you and how you see yourself. But honestly, watch this. It's interesting. Whosoever is born of God, verse 9 doth not commit sin. You've been born of God? But yet the whole book of 1 John's all about the fact that if you say you have no sin, then the truth isn't in you. So what's it talking about? Keep reading. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. What's he talking about? The new man. That which was created in you, that, that perfect man that lives in you, that divine nature that's now yours. The key is, is who do we yield to and who do we allow to have control? So we see Abraham, we, we notice this. Watch what happens here. Now notice a calling again. We're talking about a calling. He says in verse 4, of course, identifies this divine nature. These people that he is referring to and speaking to here, Peter, they are saved as anybody could ever be saved. But then he goes on to say, and besides this, you've escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. Hold on. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. That's a pretty heavy duty calling there. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now wait a second. Oh, wait, are you kidding me, Lord? You're asking me now, okay, I'm saved and I love it and I like it and this is good stuff, Lord. Thank you so much for my eternal salvation. I got the divine nature. I'm good to go. I'm set. I've got a ticket and a pass to heaven one day. He says, yeah, but that's not the end of it. I've called you to some things. 
hey, you got to add to that now. You can't stop there. You've got a mission. You've got a responsibility. There's an expectation, and that expectation is giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, and patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. So if I'm neither barren nor unfruitful, what am I? I'm fruitful, real fruitful. Nine, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. Fall, excuse me, ye shall never fall. You say, why is there so many people falling in the Christian faith? How come people are moving along so well and then they just kind of get tripped up and down the steps they go? What's going on? Well, they're not giving all diligence to add to their faith some things. It is that simple. So what, what, what are we saying then? They're not trying too hard. We're going to dress it all up? We're going to go ahead and call it something that it might not be then? We're going to pretend that there's an excuse or a reason? It's just not convenient for them at this time? No, we're not trying hard enough to stay on our feet. We're not following the prescription given to us by the, the Lord God. We're not fulfilling our calling as God intended. You know what our excuse is? It's not convenient right now, just like Abraham's. There's a reason, Lord, I've got a good reason, at least in my own mind. Young people, what's it going to take for you to stop following after the Lord? What's it going to take? Is it going to take a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Is it going to take a job? Making some money? It's going to be your education. That's right. You'll start going to college and you won't have time to be diligent in pursuing those things. And you'll wonder, and everybody will wonder, why'd they fall? Because you stopped working at it and started working at something else. Are you going to, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to say, why don't we, you know what? We've got to start looking at things very practically. The Bible outlines this very clearly. It is a calling of ours. We have to work on this calling. And I just, by means of application, I just see Abraham. And I think to myself, if Abraham of all people could lose 15 years, how many years might I lose? How many years might you lose? And that's why the question was asked. Are we given permission to put God's calling on hold for convenience sake? Well, I'm getting married. We got a couple, we're going to get married. We're going to put God's calling on hold? Oh, we're having a kid. We're going to put God's calling on hold? Got a new job, going to put God's calling on hold? I got a disobedient teenager, going to put God's calling on hold? I'm going through a divorce, going to put God's calling on hold? I mean, we have all kinds of convenient excuses for not fulfilling our calling, not going forward for God, not allowing His blueprint to be lived out in our lives. I just want to encourage you, don't let anyone or the devil or anybody else convince you that you have permission to put God's calling on hold for convenience sake. Because I'll tell you what, it didn't, 
it doesn't seem like it was a big deal, but I do realize that a brother of his and his dad died before he left. I don't know if they died to get him to go or if they died and then he left. We don't probably will never know that answer till heaven. And he may still not share it with us. But why take the chance? Say, we don't, nobody talks like that anymore. I know. And look what's happening to our culture. No fear of God anymore. You say, that's respect and awe. Yeah, well, you let your children respect and awe you, and I want them to fear me when they're two and three. They'll grow up to respect me that way. But they won't start. They don't start off with that kind of awe and respect. It takes a few years and it takes a little bit of fear before they go, you know what? I don't want to break daddy and mama's heart anymore. It takes a little time to get to that place. You say, I don't agree with your definition of fear. Well, then you read the Bible and tell me what God's definition is. Read it sometime. Look up the word fear and read it every time it's used and how it's used. Listen, he is nobody to be trifled with. So, the call of Abraham, we see their past through Abraham. He was the father, the beginning of the Hebrew race. Number two, then it comes to the Exodus. Of course, we know that Abraham has some offspring. And then, you know, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he has all these children, and they end up in Egypt now. How long are they in Egypt? Wow, man, 430 years. The Bible says, now sojourning, Exodus 12, 40, now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. It's interesting, isn't it? He told them to go to Canaan, the land of promise, but now they're still sojourning. <clears throat> if I asked you a question, if I said to you, do you believe that the children of Israel we're right in the center of God's will for 40 years in the wilderness. Do you believe that's where God wanted them? I'm not asking, did he use it to ultimately fulfill his purpose and plan? That's not what I'm asking. Do you believe that his desire was for them to end up in the promised land the first time, not the second time? How many would say, I believe it's the first time, preacher, that he wanted them to go there? How many say, nope, the second time? Okay? Nobody wants to raise their hands because you're scared to death of being wrong, right? Okay? Yeah, I, I get it. I believe, according to what I can tell in Scripture, that God fully intended for them to enter the promised land the first time. You know, when Caleb originally said, and, and, and Joshua said, hey, what are you talking about? Let's go. Let's take the land. And everybody went, nah, don't think so. So let me ask you, they sojourned, they wandered. The Bible says, and interestingly enough, it used the word sojourned, it says that now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. I'm not convinced that God intended them for, to remain 430 years in Egypt. I'm not. You say, yeah, but they became a great nation there. Oh, they couldn't have become a great nation anywhere else. I believe they could have been a great nation no matter where, especially if they were right where God wanted them originally. And then they wouldn't have to deal with all that slavery and all of that heartache and all of those dead people in the wilderness. I mean, have you ever figured it out? Have you ever thought how many funerals are they doing every day in the wilderness? Have you ever thought about that? I have. It's horrible. We think we got it rough. I mean, everybody over the age of 20 died for over the 40-year span. Let's assume there were 2 million people that were over the age of 40 even. Think about that. Divide that by 40 years, 360 days a year. You say, now it's 365. Biblical years are 360, by the way. I'm just going to stick with that. At least that's prophetical years, 360. A days in a year. 
But divide that out and see how many people are dying every day in, in Israel. It's a lot of people. They could probably, I think they could have avoided all that. You say, so what are you trying to say? Anytime a child of God puts God's calling on hold in their life, it always comes with strings attached. Remember we were already talking about some of that? In this case, bondage is what they received. But we got to be so careful again. The Exodus. So we find them leaving Egypt. And we know the story or the account, and man, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? And we see them coming out of Egypt after 10 plagues, and they're stuck there at the river. I wouldn't say the Red River, but that's a John Wayne movie. <laughs> the Red Sea is the real one, see? And man, we see God miraculously providing safety for them, and then provision for them, protection for them. So many things God's doing. It's wonderful. I just wonder how much of it could have been avoided. How much of our heartache could be avoided? How much of the bondage that we express or that we feel in our lives or the weight of worry and, and the burdens of life, how many of those maybe are direct results of our Failure to comply wholeheartedly with God's calling or God's purpose or his plan or possibly his word. Think about the person who finds themselves in a financial crisis, debt up to their neck, swimming in debt and burdened down by it, and we wonder, man, how did he get there? You know, God doesn't tell us to go into debt like that. He tells us to avoid it. So maybe we brought our burden on ourselves. Maybe it isn't the devil doing it to us. Maybe it's us sometimes just not following God's word. Maybe we weren't, we should have never ended up there to begin with. And as a result of that, we're experiencing now these consequences. And we can blame other people. We can blame God. We can blame all kinds of things. But when it's all said and done, maybe it's us. Then we come to the times of the judges. So we see the beginning, we see the call of Abram. The Hebrew race kicks off and begins, and then there's his family, and ultimately they go into Egypt, and they're, they're there for 430 years. But the Bible describes it as a coffin. And there they finally come out of that. We find them heading toward the promised land, and they eventually find their way there after wandering 40 years, don't they? And so after 40 years now, God supernaturally provides victory for them, and into the promised land they go. The government was a theocracy, and it had been administered through their elders and now we're going to see judges. Look, if you would, in Nehemiah chapter 9, because we're going to get an overview of, these, of this situation now. We're, gonna, we're going to see that the priests now in Nehemiah's day, remember in Nehemiah's day, they're <clears throat> coming out of bondage, and they're going back to Jerusalem, and they're going to rebuild the wall and then rebuild the temple and begin worship again. And so now they're getting right with God and they're reading through the scriptures and then the priests begin to share these <clears throat> truths about or story about their past. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 24. <clears throat> so the children went in and possessed the land. Chapter 9, verse 24. Nehemiah, he's a good hider. He gets in between the other books and you can't find him. <laughs> Chapter 9, verse 24. So the children went in and possessed the land and 
Thou subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gavest them into their hands and their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. Here's this great victory now. They're, They're entering the promised land, and God supernaturally delivers them and gives them the victory. Notice verse 25. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of old goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance. I mean, they occupied the land, literally. It was there and they occupied it. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy good, great goodness. Hey, nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I don't know that God's upset with that in the least. As a matter of fact, I think he wants us to enjoy the, the, the blessings of God. I mean, man, if God's doing something in your life or he's blessing you financially, he's taking care of your health, he's working in your family, man, and rejoice in that and enjoy it. Hold on, though. Watch what happens with the children of Israel, the Jewish people. Verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee and they wrought great provocations. Man, that's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? So we notice this blessing in verse 25. We see the rebellion in verse 26. I mean, it's a pretty bad rebellion too. I mean, they rebelled against God. They discarded God's word. They killed the man of God. And this word provocation means anything that excites anger. What they did, they brought God to great anger. They made him really mad. Wouldn't you be mad if Somebody discarded your word and somebody rebelled against you and somebody killed your representatives and you were the God who created? Wouldn't that bother you a little bit? They brought God to some anger. He was not happy with them. Notice what he goes on to say in chapter, uh, verse 27 now. Just lost, oh, there it is. Okay, here we go, 27. Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies. What did their enemies do? He said, who vexed them. That's not good. And in time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them, watch this, saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. Isn't it interesting how now the Lord's laying a foundation for the word Savior. He's helping to define it for us so that when Jesus comes and he's called the Savior, we can look back and see what he does. He delivers out of the hand of the enemy. And for us, who's the enemy? Satan. Interesting, isn't it? Notice now, in verse 27 again, he says, When they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and according to thy manifold mercies thou gavest them saviors, who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. Verse 28. But after they had rest, after they had seen the enemy go their way, after God had delivered them miraculously out of the hand of of the enemy by the hand of a savior, by a man, somebody, or in one case, even Deborah, a woman, and he delivered them out of the hand of the enemy. They had rest now. No longer being vexed. They did evil again before thee. Therefore leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had the dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies. What we find in the book 
of the, in the book of Judges, and again, we're dealing with these judges, and they are referred to as saviors in the book of Nehemiah, we're seeing there's a pattern that is evolving or a cycle that we see taking place. One, the blessing. God's people are blessed. God's people then rebel. God's people are punished. God's people repent. And then they go back to their ways again. That doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. And the Bible says that it happened over and over and over and over again. You think, when are they going to learn their lesson? Right? Question. Do we struggle like this? And we would have to ask the question, when are we going to learn our lesson? I mean, the Old Testament is a picture book, and it reveals to us New Testament truth. We look at it, and we see it, and then we can apply it to our lives. <clears throat> it's amazing, isn't it? You say, why does God, today, I mean, when a child of God rebels against God, discards his word, you can know trouble's around the corner, right? And there's no way God is going to allow his children to continue in a state of rebellion without getting their attention. That, that, that's the application. In Hebrews 12, 6, we see God in the New Testament reinforcing this truth by saying, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Why in the world would God chasten children, his children? Why would God scourge them? Why would he allow something physical to happen or to bring about a physical pain or ill? Why does he do that? He chastens us to provide us with reflection. He wants us to reflect, to wake up and he wants us to wake up and get he wants us to wake up so he can get our attention. Not only reflection but correction. He wants to bring us back into fellowship with him and in alignment with his word again. Not only that, but protection. See, there's only, there, there's only heartache and ruin outside of obedience. God's, God does care about his children. And he allows some bad things to happen sometimes to get our attention so that we will correct our attitudes and our actions so that ultimately we can live a life free of consequences and blessing. You say, I, I'm not a fan of this correction. I'm not a fan of that. I, I, I think we need to be very careful. And here we go now. Let me just share it. I don't believe in spanking my children. I believe you just raise bullies that way. Because that's what we're being taught. Wait a second. Does God chasten his children? Why would he do that if it's not absolutely necessary? If it doesn't better us, why would a God that loves us simply hurt or harm us for no good reason? He doesn't. He does it for our own good. And it's important that we understand this principle because then it applies to our lives. When there are no consequences for wrongdoing, there's only anarchy. And sadly enough, in our word, we're beginning to see the outworking of some of this. Of course, if we move forward and I'm going to close... I'm not going to close. I am closing, but I'm not going to finish this all up right now. But I think it's important as we look at Israel and we see that early on the Jew begins with a man by the name of Abram. Man, he is an example to all of us. But he is just a man. 
Sometimes we elevate people so high that we forget that God wants the same things for us. You and I can live a life that pleases God like Abraham pleased God. Enoch, walk with God. And God took him. I'm not saying God's going to take you or me out of here, and I wish he would. Oh boy, aren't you hoping the rapture comes real soon? But hold on. Why can't we walk with God like Enoch? He was just a man. We somehow put him on a pedestal where, well, nobody could be like Enoch. Nobody could be like Abraham. Nobody could be like Apostle Paul. Nobody could ever. Why not? Who told you this? You? You? Someone else? Because God didn't share that with us. We have the Holy Ghost, but nonetheless, we see Abram, and then we see the Exodus. They finally escape Egypt, and God blesses them as they go forward. We see the times of the judges. God supernaturally not only providing and protecting, but showing his mercy and his grace to them in the midst of their rebellion and disobedience. Man, all we have to do is look at that Old Testament and we can see all kind of pictures and principles that affect us today. It's really amazing, isn't it? A wonderful book God's given us, the Word of God. Let's make sure that we don't put God in a bad position. You ever put your parents in a bad spot? You ever disobeyed mom and dad and then you knew they find out they're going to be brokenhearted? You ever been there? Let's not put God in that same spot, okay? Let's work hard to always please him, to honor him, and to obey him. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time we have together in your word. We thank you for all you do for us. Bless us now in these next few minutes, Lord, as we have a time of invitation, as we give folks an opportunity to respond as you lead them and direct them. Father, maybe you're uh, speaking to somebody. Maybe there's a calling or a portion of their Christian life that they have neglected. And Lord, they've maybe even come up with a good excuse in their own mind why they can't do what you've asked them to do. I pray, Lord, that they would just... uh, discard that thought and just make up their mind to obey you. Lord, bless now, we pray. Do a miracle in our lives. Help us, Father. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every